Welcome to Sport and Life with Sam Kakovich and Leon Wegard. Sam, good idea. I'm fantastic, Liam, but what would Victoria be without a few glitches in our life after what we've endured over the past eight months? Oh, uh, yes, A few yes. technical issues here and there, but I think we're on deck now, aren't we? Exactly. If we need to worry about things, there are greater things to concern ourselves with, I think. But you're quite right. We have one of the all-time greats with us, 74 test matches, 5,500 runs, Average of about 50 and a very handy spin... Uh, uh, Medium sw- fast. Sp- swing. swing. Yeah, swing bowler. Dougie Walters. And good morning to you, Doug. Good morning, Leon. How are you going? Well, you're a very patient man because uh, our uh, listeners don't need to know, but uh, we've had some real glitches and you've been a, a stalwart hanging in there, and thanks for that. Um, no worries. No, I've been used to um, hanging around for the last... As, um, as Sam... As, um, Sam said eight months or so. We haven't been doing much, have we? <laughs> Matter of fact, uh, I was going to mention this to you off air, but uh, years and years ago, uh, I, I went to a Perth test match. I was over there for some reason, and I think it was Austin Robinson took me into the uh, media room where they were broadcasting, and you were either reporting on radio or television. And it was the day that I think it was Joel Garner got seven for very few. And was it Joel Garner? One of the big West Indian guys, anyway, was running through the Australians at a million miles an hour. And um, you were sitting there reading the uh, the racing pages because you're, you're on your break. And uh, somebody said, oh, they're in trouble now, Doug. And you said, oh, no, the skipper's still to come. No, he's been in and out. <laughs> <laughs> you're absorbed by the Seymour Cup or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, I still follow that, and uh, fortunately, uh, we've been able to follow the, the races at least for the last few months. Yeah, it's been a saver. Doug, yes, uh, how are you, mate? Sammy? Uh, mate, you've always been described and you always looked a very cool dude. You know, your great temperament. Dennis Lilly once said, I've never heard him say a bad word. But uh, before we go back to the early, uh, the early humble beginnings, have you forgiven the Sydney Trust? Are you still pissed off about them uh, getting rid of the Doug Walters stand and making it the Victor Trumper stand and turning a bar? They've got the Doug Walters bar inside the Victor Trumper stand. Well, no, I, I, no, I, I think it's more appropriate that I have a bar than a stand anyway. Well, uh, I, I think spend so. more time in the bar than I do in the stand, that's for sure. There was nothing more Australian. You had a good following of... Uh, Oh, all the really uh, crusty people of Australia, they love Doug Wallace. Your flair, your, uh, you know, your, con- your laconic manner, it was fantastic. But of course it all started back in Dungog. Now Dungog doesn't sort of flow off the tongue, but uh, it's a little village 250k north of uh, Queensland. And uh, I think you had a couple of brothers. 250 north of Queensland. Uh, north of, way to north, north, north <laughs> of Sydney. That's what <laughs> But uh, there anyway. <laughs> but tell us a little bit those early days. Uh, was I know your brothers played cricket. Uh, your father was a cricket. Your late father, sorry to say. But uh, was it was it ingrained in the? Was it a, a local trade to be laconic and lay back, or was it something you developed over a period of time? Uh, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I mean, it was a family thing. My, my father, my mother, played cricket. My sister, uh, but I guess more so on my mum's mom, side. Um, they were they were pretty good sporting people, uh, her brothers. So um, I guess um, uh, I had to carry it on. You left Queensland, I think. At, uh, Queensland, I keep the Dungog. It sounds like a Queensland name, but anyhow, 
You left Dungong, I think you debuted for New South Wales when you were about 17. You made 50 against West Hall. Do you remember that? Yeah, that was my first uh, my first game uh, yeah. against Queensland. Uh, West Hall happened the bowling. Uh, and then Jeez. in my second game, uh, it was Ian Meckett uh, versus Victoria. So um, I struck two of the best in my first couple of games. They don't come any quicker than that, Leon. Well, Count's still around and uh, and well. I'm a, a member of the Victoria Golf Club, so uh, they're a dying race, those guys. But uh, Ian is in great shape, you'll be pleased to know. Yes, I, uh, I, I, I watch that show of his uh, on the television uh, every now and again. He, he keeps on coming up and he looks good. I'll bet you he's still burgling around that golf course there in Victoria. Yeah, he won the... As a matter of fact, I think he won the B-grade or C-grade... Championship or something yeah. recently, so he's going back through the grades. But then again, um, like all of us, he's no spring chicken. No, that's for sure. Hey, talking about age, um, going back into the early days, and I'm only taking this off Google. But when you were playing for the Police Boys Club, and was that club in Dungog, or was that when you, the boys' club that you played for? No, that was in Maitland, just down the road, about another forty, fifty k's. Well, um, just well, well, you must have been some sort of a bowler because Google claims that you got uh, nine for eight, nine for four, eight for seven. You must have been pretty handy. Uh, yeah, well, last days I didn't know I could bat because we are only ever chasing about 15 or 16 runs. We opened the bowling and batted about number seven or eight. <laughs> so um, when you're only chasing 15 or 16, you don't get too many hits. Gee whiz, your mum must have umpired those. What did you eight for what? Yeah, no, well, nine for eight, nine for four, eight for seven. Yeah, few, um, yeah. 17 for 11 in one match was, uh, was my best performance. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be nice and fizzed off, wouldn't you, if somebody got a nick and got four? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, mate, you, you found your way to the big, uh, the big smoke at 19, your test debuted. And, of course, I, I guess you, you're probably aware that you were the only ninth Australian to score a century in your first dig. I think the other one was uh, Bill Ponsford, was only the second. You scored 100 in the first test. I think that was the ninth Australian. Was that right? Oh, well, I don't know. Uh, There wouldn't have been uh, that many, I suppose. But, uh, yeah, you get lucky. I mean, when you start off that way, there's um, there's only one way to go, unfortunately. That's downhill. (laughs) (laughs) Well, but, um, talking about that bowling bit, uh, but that second game I played against Victoria, I thought I was still a bowler that batted a bit, and uh, I got 128 in that game. So I thought I'd better start concentrating a bit harder on this batting caper if I'm going to stick around too <laughs> much. Longer. Who did Victoria have in those days? I, I guess Bill Laurie was up one end. Keith Stackpole, maybe? No, Stacky, that was uh, one of Stacky's first games. No, that, those, that game clashed with a test match, so Bill was out, but... Um, uh, they still had a pretty fair side, just the same. Well, you're, you're a guy that never, t- uh, I think all you did just took block and that was about the only respect you had for the opposition because from then it was see ball, hit ball and three times in a test match, I think you made 100 in a session. And one famous one, I think you clouded Bob Willis over the top on the last ball of the day. You remember that for sure. Uh, yeah, that's, that's um, yeah, one, of my, one of my big moments, I, I guess. Talking about uh, uh, big moments, this is a, a moment that lasted some time. A partnership with uh, Lynn Marks. Were there two two Marks, weren't there? Or am I getting confused there? Uh, 
No, there were, were two. Uh, Neil, Neil Marks and, and Lynn. Um, uh, Neil was a little bit older than uh, Lynn. Uh, Lynn, unfortunately, not with us anymore, but Neil's still going. Uh, both played for New South Wales, but uh, Lynn was the one that um, you're referring to. A 378 partnership, of which you, uh, oh, well, your innings was 253. Uh, pretty big stuff, eh? Well, that, that was my highest score in first-class cricket, and I was in second ball. Um, Brian Tabor opened the batting with Lynn Marks, and the idea, he, he still reckons he took the shine off the ball for me. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Mate, uh, uh, conscription. I think it was 66, 67, you were conscripted uh, into the army, probably at the... Uh, approaching the height of your powers but you never begrudge going to the army you willingly went and you felt you played your best cricket when you came out well yeah it was something I guess we, we had to do there's no good complaining about uh, spilt milk as they say uh, two years yeah um, I, I came out of Nash as I went to England in 68 and uh, not long after had an had a average you know, season in England without having a, a being a great season but then come back and played against the West Indies and I had the best season I, I ever had, so I can't turn around and blame National Service, can I? No. And interestingly enough, looking at your figures, and I was absolutely amazed. I know you've got an average of, uh, uh, in a, say, around 50, and yet you've dominated the uh, the landscape all over the world except England. England, I think you averaged about 21, 22. And I think you made high 80s in your first two tests there. But why couldn't you have mastered England? Were you, you lacked patience or...? Because the ball moved around seemingly, up the seam? Uh, yeah, my average against England uh, it was pretty ordinary, particularly in England. But um, there's, I don't know, I can't really put a, a, a finger on it because I averaged 90-odd against the West Indies. and Yeah, against the most feared attack in the world. <laughs> Any of it? Ah, we got through another break. Uh, Doug, I read with interest also, you know, you had a, unfortunately your father passed away during your first test, didn't get to see you. But your father figure, or your second father as you call him, was Richie Benno. You had a very close relationship with Richie. How did that evolve? Uh, well, when I moved from uh, Dungog to Sydney to, to play uh, uh, great cricket, I played with Cumberland, Central Cumberland Cricket Club, as it was now, now it's called Parramatta. Um, now, Richie was uh, still playing in those days and um, he took me under his wing and uh, really looked after me very well, I, I must say. I mean, he uh, he said he always said to me, don't sign a thing until you see me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He was a master of the bottom line, Richie. He certainly was, yeah. He was a terrific guy and, um, yeah, we miss him. So going back to, uh, to, to England and not about the averages, but... You, you were you were no stranger to England. You went there enough times. Well, I, I had enough chances, that's for sure. I had four four tours of England, and uh, uh, not too many get that opportunity. But um, yeah, it's um, surprising. I, I think I, I played some of my best cricket in England, believe it or not, but not in the Test matches. They, uh, you were part of a very very good team in those days, and they seemed to get on very very well. I mean, it's the sort of Test matches, we wouldn't miss a ball of it back here in Australia. We'd listen to every everything that happened, and uh, they seem to be a fairly close knit mob uh, with the Chapels and yourself. And um, I mentioned Stacky before, who I happened to go to school with. That's why I mentioned him. 
several times. But um, they were a good team, I think. Oh no, a good team membership. You know, they were, they they seemed to have a bit of Marsh, Lily, all those mates, guys. Good mates. Well, my, my first tour uh, of England '68 was the first time they flew both directions, and uh, the tour was still two months, uh, two days short of seven months. So. Uh, we lived in each other's pocket, I guess, and, and it reminds me a little bit of what's been going on the last few months here in Australia, where sporting teams have been living with one another and um, they tend to perform a little bit better, I think. Well, Sam, and it's interesting to note that you brought that up, Doug, because there have been cases where people, I know it's a new part of the language now, but uh, mental problems coming from people being in lockdown and and... You know, people be, being on tour like you were seven months, you just had to make the best of it. But it's a different world these days. Yeah, it certainly is. I mean, uh, from a cricket aspect, I mean, there's uh, the only thing that the players do together is go shopping with their wives and their kids, I think. They, they, <laughs> they, don't, they don't mix at the bar or the, the golf course or anywhere else. So it's um, certainly changed. Well, a common denominator or one of the common themes when your name is raised, and you've just touched on it briefly then, was the bar. Now, I think there was a real harsh rule of thumb after a game that Giappelli would make everyone stay back and have a drink together. Was that right? Uh, yeah, not only after the game either. No, well, I'll um, get to that shortly. I'll get that shortly, yeah. But, uh, it was, yeah, pretty much. But certainly it was an after-game thing for everybody. Uh, but Ian Chappell, he, un- he understood cricketers pretty well. He understood cricket very well, and he understood cricketers just as well. Now, Doug, uh, in- Doug, uh, now I know what you're saying, but after that hour or so of togetherness and collegiality and mateship and fellowship, then you had this little click going, didn't you, that uh, used to find your way to Alan McGilvray's room with a couple of bottles of scotch in the wee small hours of the morning? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we when the bar shut and we were still a little bit thirsty. We always uh, thought, well, we knew where we get uh, the, a nightcap, and from uh, that was from Alan McGilvray. We knew he'd always have three or four bottles of scotch tucked away in his room. But there was only the privileged two or three. You were one of the anointed ones with Chapelli. Who were the other yeah, two or the, three? The, the, when we first started, there would be about eight of us knocking on his door and we're asking for a nightcap, and he said, not all of you. you. You get to bed, you get to bed, you can come in, you can come in. And there was only three or four of us at, at the most that ever got into McGilbray's room. <laughs> and, of course, you're always associated with great humour. You know, you always... I remember uh, reading Once Upon a Time, you said, oh, look, I need some practice. And the other ten players, shock horror, thought, What? Must have been a plague. You must be infected. You've never practised. So when there's someone's responded to it, you picked up a dart and threw it at the board. He said, right, I'm ready now. I've loosened up. <laughs> Is that right? Well, it went pretty close to the bull, so I thought I had my eye in that day. But <laughs> it doesn't always work. But I, I didn't believe in practising on the day, the morning of a match. I mean, I, I practised uh, just as hard as anyone else um, outside uh, the, the playing days. I was first to practice and, and last to leave most times, but not on the morning of the match. I thought if you had to worry about your form on the morning of the match, then you were in trouble. Well, I thought I might remind you of this one as well. Uh, you happened to be out one after, one evening, and unfortunately it turned into the wee small hours of the morning, so much so that it was almost it was daylight. You got to the hotel at 8 o'clock, and you said to the receptionist, could I have an early reminder call for 8.30? She said, that will be tonight, uh, Mr. Walters. 
You said, no, in about half an hour, I just need to get some sleep. I've got a bat at 11 o'clock. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think that that is uh, probably a little uh, an, an exaggeration, but um, yeah, wouldn't have been too far out. <laughs> uh, Doug, they talk about golden ages of different sports, and uh, you certainly came through a golden age with some of the greatest players of all time, the Gary Sobers, Ian Botham's, uh, Boycott, uh, the great West Indians, our own great players, of course, Lily Marsh, and we've mentioned a few of them too. Um, uh, when you reflect, you know, seriously, sometimes over a beer in the drip tray, as uh, Sam would call it, um, you must be very pleased that you came through about that time. Uh, it was a great time to play. Um, yeah, we didn't um, we didn't earn any money out of playing cricket, but uh, we, we certainly had a lot of fun, that's for sure. Well, that's it, isn't it? You know, if you, I mean, how... You can't put a, you can't quantify the worth of being away with a team like that. I, personally, I played, I always played amateur sports, you know, and uh, but I wouldn't change that for anything, you know. It's just a wonderful thing. And Doug, you, you worked for the, I think you, I think you had all the vices. I think, did you work for a, for a cigarette company? Yes, I did for uh, most of my cricketing career. Yeah, and you certainly, much. you certainly supported a few breweries. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, uh, yeah, I, uh, I certainly did that. Your, you, well, your Can reference anyway. I don't know whether you, whether you were on the record, but it was suggested you've smoked in your life seven hundred and eighty-five thousand cigarettes. Is that the way uh, you calculate it? And counting. No, it was that was <laughs> I read that uh, this morning on Google. Is that right? Seven hundred eighty-five thousand cigarettes. Which well, just, just as well, I, I finished nearly 12, year, 12 years ago now, so uh, uh, I, I'm back in good shape again. Going back to working for uh, a tobacco company, uh, um, for those younger listeners, uh, it was the tobacco companies that actually kept sport going for many, many years. And uh, so while it sounds really, you know, dreadful to be talking about smoking and uh, its support for sport, that was the thing, wasn't it? Rothman's Foundation and all the other ones that, uh, and they really kept sport going for many, many years. Oh, absolutely. There was no shortage of uh, cigarettes around at the time. I worked for Rothman's and Benton Hedges was a major sponsor of Australian cricket. So uh, we certainly had um, a fair share of cigarettes around the place. Although, uh, mate, when the great uh, Kerry Packer arrived, that might have helped swallow your coppers a bit. Do you recall those days of... Uh World Series. Uh, yes, I do, and and it certainly helped. Um, but do you remember what you were paid? We, when when players hear what we were paid for World Series cricket, they really laugh these days. I yeah. mean, uh, but um, yeah, I, I don't think we were in any better off because um, when we uh, were working for Rothmans, those companies, we um, uh, we were we had uh, jobs that paid us while we were away, and. Um, when World Series cricket started, those those jobs uh, disappeared. And ironically enough, you were one of the few that came out of World Series cricket. I think you toured India in eighty eighty one. Did you not? Came back to convention uh, traditional cricket. Uh, no, I didn't tour after that, but I, I did play against uh, New Zealand and India in in Australia. Oh, in Australia, uh, right? During the eighty eighty one season, yeah, that was um, that was my last. Who captained then? Eighty one. Tre- uh, <laughs> Um, Greg was still yeah, Greg. Um, back as captain in 81. Do you reckon, Doug, uh, the players today, um, well, you actually alluded to it anyway, and I guess we know the answer, but um, 
the fun and games and the and the the association with each other that you are able to enjoy back in those days, it can't be replicated these days. Even though they try their best, you're right um, in mentioning the families are now involved on tour, and uh, they certainly wouldn't be able to play off and on the field as all of us did in our own sports back in those days. Yeah. So uh, it's a, it was another era, and no, they won't believe us in 50 years' time when they read the books about what. Sportsmen were up to in those days. Exactly. <laughs> no, well, I, I, they're not allowed to put a foot out of line anywhere in these days. But uh, I guess I always say you got to practice what you do best, and uh, some of the uh, the guys don't do it very well, so they don't get enough practice. Obviously. What are your views on you know contemporary game? The the batsmen of today, I just think they're far too technically orientated. You know, they go to these institutes to taught to leave the ball outside the off stump at six inches outside. If it's short, you duck. You guys were great hookers and pullers of the ball, and I don't think you ever had a high-performance... <laughs> I don't think you'd know what a high-performance coach was in your day. Do you think it's sort well, of... Well, we played in the era mainly without helmets, and I guess that, that made us watch the ball a little bit closer. Um, I know those Hellmans uh, were in for the last couple of years that I played, but uh, it, I never got used to them. Uh, but their common sense is like a seatbelt in a car, uh, but the kids grow up with them now, and um, and that's that's the way. I mean, uh, that's that's the way they coach, that's the way they play. I, I, I don't know whether it's, it's right or wrong, to be honest. How frightening was that speed attack of the Windies with Hall and Griffiths and the, and the co.? Yeah, they were terrifying. There's no doubt about that. Um, I don't know of anybody that opened the batting in the morning and was still there at six o'clock that evening. <laughs> um, one of them was going to get you, so uh, you, you had to you had to get them before one of them got you. The so Phantom, the Phantom would have tried hard, wouldn't he? Uh, yeah, the Phantom he, well tried hard to, to bat all day. Yeah, but I, no, I don't think he succeeded against the West Indies. Bill Lurie, of course, we're talking about, a great, another great Australian. I think you shared a few partnerships with him, didn't you, didn't you the great man? Yeah, well, I, I did in my first test match. He, he still claims that he, he outscored me. He got 168, I think, and I got 155. So uh, he certainly out, outscored me, that's for sure. But I'm not sure that uh, I took as long to get my 155 as he took to get his. <laughs> now, the boy that got the uh, 9 for 8, the 9 for 4, the 8 for 7 for the... Police Boys Club also took his bowling into a higher level and you were pretty handy as a partnership breaker as I recall it and uh, so you kept your bowling up and was there any particular captain over the time that went to you more often than the others as a bowler? No, uh, yeah, Ian, Ian Chappell did, certainly. Um, I mean, I, I, I class myself as a lucky bowler, really. I mean, uh, I may have done on the odd occasion a little bit with the ball, but uh, I would have loved to have been batting against my own bowling rather than uh, just <laughs> delivering it. I said earlier you were the ninth Aussie to score a century in his first test. You, only, you know you're only the, only the second Aussie to do what? Do you recall? Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not well, sure where you come 100 and 200? Yeah, 100 and 200. A century and a double century. Yeah, I, I guess so. And I, I, I don't believe that I, I was the first ever to do that. You were? Um, yeah, I was, I was the first ever. I thought, gee, Bradman must have scored 300 and 100, not, not 200 <laughs> and 100. I'm glad you mentioned Bradman. You know, I've never, I've never known an individual in sport 
that polarised a an audience. Players in particular. You speak to some people about Bradman, let me tell you, there would be a tirade of invective and unbridled abuse. You speak to others, it's the high lavishing with the highest praise possible. In your opinion, what was he like and what was your relationship with him like? Oh, he, he was fantastic. I, I had no problems with um, Sir Donald. He, he was chairman of selectors when I first started. And when I walked off the Gabba after getting 100 in my first test, he, he shook my hand and said, uh, if you ever need any batting advice, don't be afraid to come and see me. Now, uh, he said that to a lot of people, but he had such an awe about the man that I don't think I ever saw anybody go and ask him anything about how to play cricket. <laughs> he was an imposing figure. There was an aura, you know, you talk about the Barassis of the world, you talk about Bradman in a similar light, you know, their presence is so omnipotent that, you know, you almost feel terrified to come up and, you know, seek advice. But yeah, he was certainly he was a polarising figure. I mean, he, I've been to his place. Uh, uh, he invited me up to morning tea there one, one morning and, and that was that was fantastic. He's a lovely guy. Who's the guy that you most despised in cricket? Surely you would have had a hatred, not a hatred, but a dislike. Oh, no, I don't, I don't dislike anybody. I mean, I probably got on better with, with some people rather than others, but... Uh, um, Kerry O'Keefe, I guess, was one that uh, I probably get, had less to do with than, than a lot of others, and still do. Still do. That's interesting. With Skull. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I can understand. Tell me, uh, sledging. Now, today, <laughs> they go to HR, these sooks. But in your day, uh, they'd be pretty good out at Chapelli and, uh, and the likes, wouldn't they? Yeah, the, the microphones weren't around or weren't as, weren't as uh, louder, obviously, as they are these days when, when we played. So we got away with it a little bit more, obviously. Um, yeah, I, I think it was only friendly banter, really. I mean, never never got that serious that we couldn't um, defuse the bomb at the end of the day over a beer. I remember Dennis Lee wanted to knock out Javid Mandar with a bat. Yeah, well, I don't know whether uh, they fix their problems overnight. But, uh, that might have been a promotion for Dennis to get there. Uh, diffused overnight. And, and I think that's the problem today, that uh, the guys don't get together until the, the end of a series, nearly. And uh, those bombs are not confused, so they keep going until uh, they, they come to a head. Uh, going back to uh, the aftermatch uh, every day, uh, who, who, who are the guys that you would sort of seek out to uh, enjoy a quiet drink with? But both in our, uh, in our team and the opposition. It, it wasn't for everyone. There would only be about half of our, our team and uh, half of the opposition team. So it was pretty much the same guys that uh, and we had a, 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 an unwritten law saying that if we spent the day in the field, they'd come to our dressing room. If they've spent the, the day in the field, we went to their dressing room at the end of the day. Uh, so it would be the same guys, really, uh, that were there, Marshy... Uh, Ian Chapel um, um, was certainly Terry there Jenner. every day, um, and uh, the Poms. You had uh, Bob Willis would be he'd, he'd be sticking around. Um, Jeff Boycott not unless he got runs. Jerry uh, <laughs> Underwood was always there. Um, the same the same guys pretty much. Now Doug, uh, when you landed in England, I guess the uh, first part of the. Uh, Formal or the formal part of the trip would be meeting the Queen. Uh, yeah. 
How did you cope with it? Did you have a bit of a refresher course before you entered Buckingham? Or you knew exactly um, the protocols yeah, I, needed? I, I don't think I said good day like Dennis did when, <laughs> when he first met the Queen. Um, good day, Mum. I've been fortunate to have uh, met her on, a, on a several occasions, and, and I had uh, one of the greatest nights of my life on Britannica uh, with the Queen and the Duke and Princess Anne and my wife, and that was absolutely sensational. There's only about a dozen of us on that uh, boat that night. The Royal Yacht Britannica. Not too many can boast that, Leon. Well, that's fantastic. How'd that come about, Doug? Uh, I'm the not too sure, prize. but I'd say, I'd say uh, it was a result of accepting national service and Sir Roden Cutler was uh, a governor? very nice yeah. guy. He was Governor of New South Wales and um, I think it was just a, a thank you from on his behalf. Well, that's, that's a... We, we mentioned before that they didn't get a lot of money in those days, but that's a fantastic thing to have on your CV. in your CV and, and in your memory bank. That's uh, wonderful. Hey, by the way, do you do you get back to Dungog very often? Uh, yes, I do. Uh, in fact, I, I take a, a group of guys up there. We we do a bit of fishing sometimes. Uh, in uh, February, we play bowls, we play golf, and uh, we have a lot of fun. And uh, in fact, this year, on our last tour, we had 39 guys we took up. So the town uh, sort of um, uh, welcomes us with open arms. Gee, 39 in a town. God, the pubs would love you. That's probably sponsored, don't they? What do you, what do you mean, the pubs? <laughs> <laughs> How many pubs are there? There'd be the one, wouldn't there? Uh, there used to be three. But, uh, there is actually only one these days. Uh, there's one and a half. There's one's open sometimes, some days, and uh, but there's only one that's open seven days these days. Uh, Doug, uh, I, uh, in closing, uh, I mean, I think Sam introduced you as a legend, and uh, we think you are. Uh, does that embarrass you? Uh, no, no. Well, it does, I guess, uh, in some ways, because uh, I'm uh, I'm not a legend in my own mind, but um, uh, it's not recognised, and um, um, it's easy to say hello and sign an autograph. Well, be embarrassed because we think you are a legend. Uh, Both of us have been out uh, with you on a number of sports nights and uh, gatherings of people. You're one of those rare, well-known and successful sports people that will talk to anyone for as long as they like. You'll, um, uh, that's right, you'll, uh, you you don't concentrate on your own story. You're um, a great listener as well and a bloody good guy and we welcome uh, we thank you very much for being with us on Sport and Life today Leon and Sam thanks for having me along thanks mate Doug Waters on Sport and Life